right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Porn and the Gospel. This is episode two, and today we're going to talk about, uh, we're just going to, I'm going to do a deep dive into my story um, so that you can hear where I'm coming from, and then we're going to just talk about why men, why good Christian men stay trapped in porn. Like, what is the problem and why does it continue to persist year after year after year after year? And so, um, because this is the, this is the big question, right? Like, why do you keep doing something that you don't want to do? And man, I have been there, right? So I was just thinking back about, uh, pornography, um, especially back in the day, back when I was a kid, it just, there just wasn't the access to, to, uh, pornography. And, um, so the first time I ever saw it was, you know, somebody left a, a playboy down at the Creek where I went and played. And so that was kind of my first exposure to it. And again, unless your family had, uh, unless you had a friend or maybe, uh, your dad or somebody who had playboys at the house, um, or maybe you had a friend that had, uh, one of the movie, uh, you know, uh, channels that, um, showed risque shows, then you just really didn't have a lot of access to pornography. Now you could find it if you really wanted to, but, um, it wasn't necessarily like something, obviously it wasn't on every single device, uh, where we, where our kids today have access, where we have access to it anytime we want to today. So that was kind of my first exposure you know, I remember the first time I ever had the guts to purchase pornography. I was in college and I uh, stopped at this. I was in the middle of nowhere. I was traveling. Um, I can't remember exactly where I was coming from, but I was, I pulled off uh, the interstate and uh, I went into this gas station. Uh, got a drink, got a, probably a candy bar or something. And then I grabbed a Playboy off the shelf and I took it up to, so this is probably about 1993 or four or something like that. And I took it up to the counter and I put everything on the counter. And this was, I, I'll tell you, I knew this was not a good idea. Like I knew what I was doing was wrong. It, I was super nervous about it. It was not uh, bold at all. And then I got up there and this older gentleman was at the register and he looked at the playboy, looked at me, looked back down at the playboy, looked at me. And this is what he said. He said, son, you don't need to buy this garbage. <laughs> and I was like, oh my word. I mean, what was I going to do? Was I going to just like take it and put it back? Or, I mean, so I just didn't say anything and he rang it up and, and I left. And then I'm trying to think I graduated in 95, you know, I, I want to say it was probably around 1998. The internet was becoming very, very popular. We, Allie and I got married in 1996 and we put a, we, we got our first uh, Macintosh, our first desktop Mac. It was one of these, uh, I want to say it was like an aqua blue one when they first came uh, out with the Macs. And that was, we had AOL internet plugged into our home and super slow dial up, but that was the first time that, uh, pornography was by me was accessed online. And so this really started the struggle and, uh, I didn't get saved until 
November 20th of 2000. So just a couple of years later, I got uh, saved. I was with some friends of mine and I thought I was a Christian at that time, but I wasn't uh, a true believer. And so I submitted, um, I gave my life to the Lord and like everything opened up for me, like all of the Bible stories, all the things that my parents had taught me my entire childhood and growing up all of a sudden made sense to me. And it was an incredible, incredible time because we were very active members at the church of Brook Hills. Shortly after I was saved, um, somebody asked me to start leading small group, which they just didn't know. And I didn't really know that that's when I got saved. So maybe they wouldn't have. So we were active members of the church of Brook Hills, teaching small groups, having kids, uh, in the early two thousands and, and life was good, but this issue with pornography, while it stopped for a little bit, right after I got saved, this is a habit that, uh, has a, a really strong grip on guys. And it had a strong grip on me, obviously, like I was, uh, just, just struggling with this. And anytime I looked at pornography and masturbated, man, there was just, just overwhelming sense of guilt and, uh, overwhelming, uh, just sense of shame. Like who, why was I still struggling with this? And so I would pray about it. I would pray, God, please take this away, you know, over and over and over and over again. And you probably have had a very similar experience. And I remember in the probably uh, our pastor, uh, David Platt, came to pastor our church in 2006. So this was, I think, in 2008, maybe 2007. I received an elder nomination in the mail and I opened it up. I looked at it and I knew because I had a friend who had gone through the process. I knew some of the questions that they would ask. And one of the questions was going to be about pornography, which they should have. Like that should be every elder should, should uh, be asked about that. And I remember sitting there and talking to Allison and just saying, you know, I just think, you know, this isn't a good time for, for me. And, uh, with all the things that I have going on, we were starting to, we were about to start never thirst, which was our nonprofit. And I was traveling a whole bunch. And so I turned in the elder nomination and told them that I was not going to go through the process. Now, the real reason was because I struggled with pornography and I wasn't going to lie to them. That was the real reason. And so it wasn't a month later, I was in India, I was with my brother, and then we had a team from Brook Hills come. Well, David Platt, our pastor, was one of the guys on this team. I mean, there's only like four of us. And we were up in uh, Kashmir in northern India, and we were walking around, and, and David and I found ourselves kind of by our, you know, just the two of us uh, standing around uh, talking, and he, he said, Spencer, let me ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, why did you turn the elder nomination form back in? <laughs> I, I never in a million years thought he was going to ask me about that. And so I had, a, I had an opportunity at that point to, to talk to David and share my struggle. But what do you think I did? What do you think I did? Well, yes, exactly. I lied. I said, 
I told him, Hey, you know, we're about to start never thirst and I've got so much going on. I'm traveling. I just don't have the time. I know it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy and this is didn't in the right time. And he was like, okay, I appreciate you. Um, you know, let me know. The real reason was that pornography was an unfortunate part of my life. And it was keeping me, it was keeping me from serving the Lord in, in, you know, in God glorifying ways, honestly. And, and so I wrestled with that. I mean, that was a, that was a, a struggle for me, but we started never thirst in 2008. Uh, I was traveling a whole bunch and it was, it was an incredible experience. So in these early days, we didn't have any donors. We did have a, a few friends that, that stepped up and, and donated early on and that were a vital part of us starting the ministry. But, you know, I was, I was just trying to start this, this ministry. And so uh, I was traveling a whole bunch uh, and I continued to struggle with pornography. And it was really interesting because as I look back on it, because God was working, like he was working through the ministry. He was raising money. He was bringing people to support us and to uh, help us. He, he was establishing partnerships in, uh, in the local, you know, churches and in different parts of India in different parts of Africa. Like we had great partners in South Sudan. We had partners in uh, Central African Republic. We, we found partners in Nepal. I mean, all of these great things God was doing, I was still struggling with pornography. You know, I confessed to my wife one time. I talked to Ali about it at one point a long time ago. We had a conversation about it, and then it never got brought up again. And you know what? I was thankful that it never got brought up again. Like, this is not something that this was not a discussion that I was super excited to have with her. And the, the one time that I had it, it was rough. It was brutal because she didn't really understand. And so I'm sure I don't really remember the entire conversation, but I'm sure I, I probably downplayed it uh, a good bit. But what happened? was that over time, pornography was eroding, was, was hardening my heart, and my hardened heart was starting to erode our marriage, like intimacy in our marriage. Like Allie and I were struggling. We were not, we were not, um, like, we were losing this intimacy, this closeness, this passion with each other. We were raising young kids, and life just got in the way. And so pornography started hardening my heart towards a lot of things. And the ministry was very successful. I mean, things were going great with the ministry. And before you know it, my heart got so hardened that I had a friend and we started, um, uh, it was a, a female friend and we just started kind of talking more and more and, and sharing things and, um, and before you knew it, we both admitted that we had feelings for each other. And um, so that was in 2013. And in the summer of 2013, uh, I did something that I never, ever, ever imagined that I would do in my life. And that was I committed adultery. I started this relationship with this person. And we... Can, this relationship continued for about three months. 
And eventually my wife uh, got very, very suspicious. So there's certain things that guys do when, and, and everybody does, when you start an affair and it's an emotional affair, right? An emotional affair typically turns physical, which, which ours did, but these emotional affairs are very, very powerful. And uh, I didn't understand what was going on. I thought, oh my goodness, this person is, uh, this person is who I'm meant to be with. And I began saying things like, or thinking things like, well, I love Allison, but I'm not in love with Allison. I began rewriting my history. Well, Allison and I have never had this kind of a relationship. Alice and I have never had, she's never done this, like rewriting history because I needed to justify what I was doing, which was completely opposite of my belief and value system. And so when you're, you know, you can compartmentalize, men can compartmentalize, and this is what we do with pornography. We compartmentalize, we take it and we say, well, I've struggled with porn over here. Let me keep this locked up and out of the way. And then, oh, I love my wife. I love my family. I love my church. I'm serving the Lord. I'm going to keep this locked up separate from this struggle with pornography. And we compartmentalize, but we can only do that for so long, especially when it comes to an affair. And then we, we like, what happens is we get this cognitive dissonance is what it's called, where there's no peace. There's no peace. I was acting completely out of line with my belief and value system. So I had to rewrite history. I had to rewrite history. I had to make it okay. And you can't stay in this state of, co of, of this cognitive dissonance forever. You, you either have to come back to your belief and value system, or you have to become a different person. And I was becoming a different person. I was becoming a different person. So Allison got suspicious because she could tell I was becoming a different person. Like I remember yelling at her in the kitchen one night, like yelling at her so angry, hoping that she would leave me. Like if she would leave me, then, then that meant that I didn't leave her. And then it would look like I would somehow still be respectable in the community, in the Christian community. Cause really, ultimately I was really concerned about that. Like how I looked to other people back then. And so she confronted me and I denied it. I had two friends that I work with who I love dearly, uh, they confronted me. I denied it. And I wrestled for the next two to three days, like wrestled big time, struggled. Like it was, there was no compartmentalizing this issue anymore. They collided. These two lives collided. And I took time off of work for just a few days to hang out with Allie. And man, <clears throat> She went one night, she went to a concert with my sister. I want to say um, it was some country concert. And I just sat there at the house and struggled big time. I remember it was as if like God's hand, his thumb was on me, crushing me, crushing me. And I just struggled. I struggled. And I eventually said, I've got to, I've got to confess. And so the next day we went to Tuscaloosa. And, uh, we were there, uh, doing something with my niece came home. And that night I said, we put the kids to bed and I said, Hey, can we talk? 
And so I confessed. And she asked if a friend could come over. So a, friend, a buddy of mine came over, one of the guys who had confronted me, Mark, he came over the house and I just opened up and shared whatever I was comfortable sharing at that point. And in an incredible act of grace and mercy, as, as we were getting done and it was time to, to like wrap up that night, it was sometime in the middle of the night, Allison uh, prayed over me. It was a very humbling, humbling uh, time because I never thought that she would, would ever do that. I didn't even know if she could forgive me, honestly. So she prayed over me and I confessed to the board of directors the next day. It was on a Sunday. That night I went and met with David Platt and confessed everything to him. And as I was leaving his office, he asked me, he stopped me and he said, hey, Spencer, is there anything else like any other affairs? I said, no, there's not. He said, what about pornography? And at that moment, <laughs> I had another choice. Remember, I had a choice when he asked me about the elder nomination, but this choice, I, I said, yes. Uh, yeah, I've struggled with pornography for a long time. And I can't remember if I told him then even about the elder nomination thing. Um, because I had received it in the mail again by that point. This was in 2013. And I had turned it back in and had not decided to go through with um, being nominated for an elder. And he said, well, okay. And we, we talked a little bit about that. And then that was it. I was fired from Never Thirst a few days later. And then there was this letter that was written um, to the, to all of the donors from the board of directors, they sent it to me. I read it. I remember where I was when I read it and it didn't say what had happened, but you could read between the lines. And so this went out to however many thousands of donors we had at the time saying that I had been removed and because of essentially, essentially because of misconduct. And so that was it. That was in 2013. That was actually in August of 2013. Here it is August of um, when I'm recording this is August of 2021. So it was eight years ago. And man, I, I remember like the pain is, is very, very real. I was in a pit that uh, I, I thought, I, I don't think I could ever crawl out of this thing. And so I was without a job. I uh, was, you know, struggling with massive amounts of shame and, uh, you know, going from everyone thinking, hey, look at Spencer, look at, you know, he's leading this ministry, look at what they're doing for the poor, look at, you know, this is a gospel focused, gospel based ministry. And then here I was in my pit, like in the pit, lost everything very, very public, very, very public. And I look back and I'm thankful for it. Like, what if, what if God wouldn't have exposed me? Like I wouldn't even be having this conversation on this podcast today. Had God not, had God not exposed me, had, had that letter not been written, had I not been fired, I probably would have continued to hide and sedate and isolate. And so 
I had a lot of time. I had uh, uh, at least a month where I didn't have a job, but I spent a ton of time with Allison and we were starting to work on our marriage. We were going to marriage counseling and I was doing a lot of journaling. And one of the things I journaled about in my, in, in my journal was just this connection between physical poverty that I was seeing on a daily basis, as I did my work with Never Thirst for five years, I was visiting communities, I was helping get access to clean water. So this, it was evident as I walked into communities, how, how much poverty they were in, like young children who were dying, no access to clean water, no sanitation, no anything. And, and then I compared it to spiritual poverty that I had deep inside of me. The, the poverty that I was hiding, like you could not, you could not hide physical poverty. When you walked in a community, you knew there was something wrong, but we are guys, especially Christian men. We are masters of hiding our poverty. It's much, much more difficult to see. And we mask it. We pretend that we're okay. We pretend that we're doing fine. We pretend that we have it all together and it's just a lie. It's not the truth. Like what were the side effects of this spiritual poverty, this, this struggle with pornography that I was experiencing? Well, tons of shame, tons of shame every time it happened. And then I would beg God to take it away from me. What I really wanted was him to take it away in the middle of the night. Like if you can take it away where I don't have to do anything, God, if you can take it away where I don't have to admit it or confess it or, or deal with it or struggle or do any hard work, God, if you'll take it away, I would appreciate that. Like, I just want to wake up and not struggle with this thing anymore. That was really how I had approached it. Looking back, that's how I'd approached it. And so I was saying that I wanted to be done with it, but I wasn't willing to commit and I wasn't willing to tell the truth. So shame, I struggle with shame huge lack of leadership in my life. I mean, think about like, I couldn't even have conversations about pornography and sexual purity with my kids. I couldn't talk about it with my wife with integrity. It was eroding our marriage, like the, the intimacy. Yes, I was committed. I would say I was committed to our marriage, but we had massive lack of intimacy. And, and, and this is emotional intimacy I'm talking about. So lack of emotional intimacy and lack of passion. And all that left me with was a commitment. I'm staying in this marriage until, until I decided I didn't want to be in the marriage. So I was leaking power at home lack of leadership. I had no peace. Marriage was falling apart. I started, I was sedating in other ways, social media, television. You can sedate in a, in a hundred different ways, porn. I mean, I, what I was doing was I was avoiding the truth, the painful truth of what was going on in my life. And I was trying to cover it up with everything else. And it doesn't work like that. And so when we would walk into these villages, when I was with Never Thirst, we would talk to them about drilling wells, like digging deep, deep, deep beneath the surface. And, and that's where the water was. It was in aquifers way deep beneath the surface. And the more I thought about it, the more 
it makes sense to me now. Like if, if someone is struggling with pornography, man, this issue is a deep, deep issue and it's not going to be handled on the surface. It's not going to be something that's simple. You have to dig deep. It takes deep exploration to uncover what's really going on in your heart. And the truth is, the truth is that most men don't want to go deep. They don't want to go deep. They're content with hiding in the darkness, keeping it hidden. But that is where the light needs to go. Like when we would come into these villages, we would say, hey, we can access this water. We can drill down with this water, but you're going to have to participate. Like you're going to have to do your part. We're going to require you to contribute money to the project or labor to the project. And that is when it was in those conversations when we would understand a community's commitment to getting well a community's commitment to doing whatever it takes to have access to clean water so that they, their children don't die, they're not getting sick, they can start exploring what it looks like with sanitation and hygiene practices. The cooking water improves, the cleaning water improves. We're talking about their lives improves. Why? Because women were walking miles and miles and miles to get dirty water that was killing them from the inside. And so for men who are struggling with pornography, the number one question to answer is, do you want to get well? Because there's work to be done. Like you have to partake in getting well. You have to do things. And I talk to men all the time about this. And some men are just not ready. And part of it is we just, we like digging deep and shining light in dark places is difficult work. I mean, think about it. Like men don't even like to go to the doctor, honestly. Like I don't like going to the doctor. Why don't men like going to the doctor? Because they're scared of what they're going to find out. I had a friend who was terrified of, going to the doctor, he wouldn't even give blood because he's afraid of what they would find in his blood. I mean, how crazy is this? How crazy is this? And so for too long, that's what I did. I avoided the difficult work and I stayed in spiritual poverty. And guess what? It, you don't stay stagnant. You, you slide deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness. And men do this all the time. You know, one of the most painful things for me was when, Al, when, when everything came out, I was fired from my job. Alice and I went to marriage counseling. And we had this counselor here in Birmingham. And let me tell you something. You talk about painful. Those were some of those painful conversations. Why were they painful to me? Why were they painful? Because I had hidden and covered up and lied for so long that the, the prospect of digging down and finding the truth was extremely painful in dealing with the truth, in dealing with the facts, what I had done to my marriage, what I had done to my family, you know, what, what I had done to potentially this ministry that I loved and that I started with some friends. All of this was extremely painful. Like I had to have conversations with this counselor with Allison in the room 
admitting what I had done and who I had become. Men avoid this. I wanted to avoid it, but there was no way out for me. I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't avoid it. And which is why men don't get help. So many men don't get help. What they do is they gather information, but they don't have any implementation. And that is just another form of sedation. Well, let me learn some more stuff. Well, let me learn some more stuff. Well, let me try to get well in secret. Let me try to, if I can just pray hard enough, God's going to take this away from me. Yet we will not do the difficult work of dealing with the truth. And so we sedate. We don't get help. We sedate. And the truth is, we can't walk in the light until we deal with the facts, until we understand how much time we've spent in darkness, what we're trying to hide, what we're trying to cover up. And so this podcast, my hope for this podcast is that this is what we're going to do. We're going to go deep. We're going to dig into the darkness. Like we're going to shine light in darkness. This is like, this is gospel going to be gospel focused and gospel based. And the truth is found in Jesus Christ. The truth will set you free, right? But guys, we are very, very good at avoiding the truth. We're very, very good about sedating and covering up. We're very, very good. We're very, we're, we become experts at isolating and hiding. And what do we get for it? Like, what do we get? You get the same thing I had. You get shame, lack of, you're not a leader in your home. You can't talk with integrity, speak with integrity, your wife about sexual purity, your kids about sexual purity. Many of you, your marriage is falling apart, and yet we go to church and we say, hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, you good. And we wonder, we wonder why the church gets such a bad rap. We wonder why we can't talk about pornography in the church because everybody's struggling with it and nobody knows what to do and nobody steps up and says, hey, here is the way out. Let me tell you about my pit. This is what we need. We need guys who are willing to say, here I was in my pit, and let me point you to the way out. I can't do it for you. Not going to do it for you. Can't put you on my back. Can't carry you out of the pit, but I can point to the way out. And I'm not going to give you, and I, I'm like this podcast, I'm not going to give you just like church answers, <laughs> Right. The interesting thing was when, when my pastor asked me about pornography, he didn't have an answer. And I love my pastor. I love David Platt, who's, I mean, he's gone on. He's not our pastor anymore. I love our pastor now, Matt Mason. I love David, but, but he didn't know. He had never been in the pit. He was somewhere like I couldn't fathom being where he was. And, and that is not nothing against David. Like, man, I love that guy. He, he is a, he's somebody I want to be like, like I, I desire to have a 
life like David, as far as man, his devotion uh, to the Lord, he's a humble servant of the Lord. And I love that about him, but man, in that moment, he could not help me. And this is the way it is in the church. So I hope that if you're a man out there, if you're a guy and you are struggling with pornography, I, my hope is that this, this podcast points you to Christ over and over and over and over again. God is light. Like we need to be pointed to the light and the light, like there's no light hiding in the darkness. There's no light when we're in isolation. There's no light when we're lying to ourselves. Like guys, we understand how many lies that we tell ourselves mostly. So anyway, I'm going to wrap it up. That's it. I hope this has been helpful to you guys. You're not alone. I just want you to know that. And if you need to reach out to somebody, then you can do that. Reach out to me. My email is spencer at naturalpornkiller.com. Uh, would love to hear from you. And uh, man, share this. If you have a buddy who's struggling with porn, share this podcast. If you find any value at all, leave me a review. It's how other people will find it. And, uh, and I will see you on the next episode of Porn and the Gospel.